Disclaimer. I am not a licensed therapist, psychologist, or psychiatrist. This podcast is in no way intended to replace therapy or used to self-diagnose. The information and tips on this podcast are from my experience dealing with mental illness, my time with my therapist so far, and research I have done on my own. Contact me if you find any information that needs to be corrected. My email is in the description of the episode. Hello there, listeners. Okay, so, wow, in the last week since, like, my last episode, I've gotten a lot more listeners from all over the place. And by all over the place, I mean all over the internet, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. It's just, it's really awesome. I'm really, I'm excited and happy about that. So thank you everyone who has listened and who will keep listening. I really appreciate it. And you're going to get sick of me saying thank you at the beginning of every episode, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) I remembered to get tea. This time I have uh, some green tea, just warm green tea with honey and sweetener. So I'm going to quickly get into this episode and start it. Um, Because I have a feeling this is going to be a little bit of a longer episode. So, yeah. I'll get into it. (laughs) Today we are going to talk about anxiety disorders. Um, and, And the main goal of this episode is to educate people that are unfamiliar with the anxiety disorders. And not so much to teach you how to cope with them. However, I plan to make an episode dedicated to helping yourself and or helping others that have these disorders. And of course, the techniques that I mentioned in my last episode um, can help out with coping with these disorders even if, even though they aren't cures, you know? If you know anyone that struggles to understand the differences between different anxiety disorders but don't have the time to research and show them yourself, or they don't have time to research, then feel free to share this episode with them. I mean, that's what I'm producing it for. The whole purpose of this episode is to educate and spread awareness to those who don't understand or who don't know the separating factors of different anxiety disorders. Okay, so the types of anxiety disorders that we are going to be discussing, GAD, OCD, PTSD, panic disorder, and social anxiety disorder. Um, and not in that order, I just realized. So, those are the ones that we're going to be talking about, but not in that order that I listed them. So, what is GAD? Well, GAD stands for Generalized Anxiety Disorder. Now, the identifying mark of GAD is Persistent, Excessive, and Intrusive Worry. GAD is diagnosed when a person struggles to control their excessive worry on more days than not for at least six months and experiences three or more symptoms of of anxiety. Um, Features of excessive worry include uh, worry even when there's nothing wrong, worry about a perceived threat in a manner that is disproportionate to actual risk, worrying about something for the majority of your waking hours, asking others for reassurance about your specific concern, but continuing to worry anyways, and worry that shifts from one topic to another. 
and there can also be physical symptoms uh, caused by this excessive worry. Restlessness or edginess, fatigue, poor concentration, sometimes with memory problems, um, irritability that can sometimes be observable to others, muscle tension or soreness, impaired sleep, and of course those things are not pleasant to experience. A lot of things can contribute to a development of GAD, and not everyone develops it the same way or at the same time. However, the time between childhood and adulthood is the time people are most likely to develop it. Women are also more likely than men to develop it as well. Younger people may worry more about school and performance, while older ones may focus more on physical health, finances, and family's well-being. So essentially, GAD is excessive worry that you feel like you can't control and that affects you in your everyday life and, and the quality of your life um, which can be really hard to deal with before I started therapy and getting medication I look back now and realize that I was suffering from GAD um, not so much anymore I've learned to you know focus on my thoughts and um, be more aware of what thoughts are going through my mind and then to counteract those with realistic expectations. So if you feel things uh, similar to what I just uh, described, then maybe consider going to a professional to work things out. Do not try to self-diagnose based on what you hear in this podcast or what online quizzes will try to tell you. Don't go boasting about that you have an anxiety disorder because of what the internet told you. The best way to know for sure is to consult a professional or even better, a couple professionals. So next uh, that I have is social anxiety disorder. What is social anxiety disorder? Um, social anxiety disorder is having anxiety or intense fear of being in a social situation where humiliation might occur. Um, specifically, fear of being judged negatively, rejected, of embarrassing yourself, or just having to perform in any way in a social situation. The average age that someone develops social anxiety disorder is in the teen years. Now, it's normal to feel anxiety in some social situations, like if you have to give a speech to a crowd of people, but those who have social anxiety disorder experience intense distress, self-consciousness, and fear of judgment in a lot of normal, everyday social interactions. Um, social anxiety disorder often keeps people from having normal friendships, interactions, or romantic relationships, and can keep the sufferers from functioning in everyday life and at work or at school. And people with this disorder sometimes experience intense worry, fear, or dread about a social situation days or weeks in advance. I have severe social anxiety, and I do that a lot. A lot, a lot. Someone will invite me to a party weeks ahead of time, and until the time comes, that date will just pop into my mind regularly throughout the weeks, and just a knot will clench in my stomach every time the thought pops in my head that, oh, I have to go to that. This disorder can be so intense that ones who suffer from it will avoid any social interaction at nearly any cost. Ones in school may wait an unnecessary amount of time just to throw away something in the trash can at the front of the room because they know that it'll draw attention. Or they could strain to hold in a cough when the class is quiet because, once again, it will draw unwanted attention. 
Now, adults may order their groceries online instead of going to the store themselves because they don't want to confront the crowd or the possible cashier. Or if they go to the coffee shop and get the wrong order, rather than try to fix the order, they drink what they got because they're too afraid to walk up, confront the register a second time, and try to get the right order. It's frustrating to live every day with this disorder because nearly everything we do to live life involves social interaction. Oh, and I do want to stress something real quick. Just to be clear, being shy and having social anxiety disorder are not the same thing. You can be shy and not have this disorder. It's common for people to be shy in childhood and then later report social anxiety, but being shy does not automatically give you the disorder. If you aren't sure if you're just shy or if you actually do have a social anxiety disorder, consider asking a professional. The article Understand the Facts Social Anxiety Disorder on ADAA.org mentioned this. Quote, Despite the availability of effective treatments, fewer than 5% of people with social anxiety disorder seek treatment in the year following initial onset, and more than a third of people report symptoms for 10 or more years before seeking help. Unquote. Now, those numbers might seem small, well, maybe not the 10 years part, but the five, under 5% part. Remember how many people actually live on this earth, or even just in the United States alone? A little less than 5% is still a lot of people, and you could be in that fewer than 5%. I know of people who don't have social anxiety that don't understand why someone can't just get over social anxiety. Just don't think about it, or tell yourself you're being unreasonable and move on. However, most people with social anxiety understand that the things that they feel is unreasonable and isn't necessary, but yet the anxiety just doesn't listen to logic. Trying to reason social anxiety with everyday logic can be like throwing a paper ball at a building instead of a wrecking ball to take it down. Social anxiety is currently the biggest form of anxiety that I deal with. For me, it feels like something that's just been implanted in my brain without my permission that I can't control, at least not easily. And I feel like that thing that was implanted also prevents me from starting a conversation or even speaking aloud like a normal person. Large social gatherings are really hard. Even when I'm sitting in a seat all alone because it's too hard to talk to people, my anxiety still skyrockets because I feel like people are staring and judging me for not talking to others like everyone else is. No matter what I do in a situation like that, my anxiety just will not loosen its grip. Social anxiety causes physical symptoms as well, like I mentioned about GAD before. If you feel like you are experiencing these things and haven't gotten help for it yet, I highly recommend it. <laughs> Please consult a professional. Alright, the next anxiety disorder, panic disorder. I was trying to get my notes. <laughs> what is panic disorder? Well, people who have panic disorder experience seemingly random panic attacks and usually worry about having other panic attacks. These attacks can happen at any time, even at times in calm when, you know, nothing's wrong and you even feel calm for a second, like it can even happen whenever you're waking up from sleep. This disorder usually appears in adults over 20, but children can also experience it. So what is a panic attack? It's a very abrupt and a very scary thing to feel if you've never experienced it. You can suddenly feel discomfort or intense fear that reaches a peak into panic. Here are some symptoms of a panic attack palpitations, pounding heart or accelerated heart rate, 
sweating, trembling or shaking, sensations of shortness of breath or smothering, feelings of choking, chest pain or discomfort, nausea or abdominal distress, feeling dizzy, unsteady, lightheaded or faint, chills or heat sensations, uh, feelings of unreality or being detached from oneself, fear of losing control or going crazy, and fear of dying. Now, you don't have to feel all of these things. Each person experiences a panic attack differently. For me, I get dizzy, the tops of my hands start to tingle, I feel like I can't catch my breath, my heart pounds, I can get hot flashes, I feel separated from reality, and I'm terrified that I have lost control of myself and that I won't be able to gain control again. Then after the attack and I'm coming off of that adrenaline high, I tremble and I feel a different kind of dizzy than while I was experiencing a panic attack and I get a headache on the lower back of my head uh, if it was an especially bad panic attack. My point is there is no one way to experience a panic attack, and the symptoms aren't limited to the ones that I listed. What separates a panic attack from other anxiety symptoms is the intensity and the duration of the symptoms. You can be anxious about something for a few hours or days or longer, but panic attacks usually reach their peak of intensity in 10 minutes or less and then start to subside. Panic attacks can occur unexpectedly both during a calm state or an anxious state. Although panic attacks are a big characteristic of panic disorder, it's not uncommon for people to experience panic attacks in the context of other psychological disorders. For example, I get panic attacks due to my GAD and social anxiety. So I don't specifically just have panic disorder, it's a characteristic of my other uh, anxiety disorders. Here's another quote from ADAA.org about panic disorder. Quote, Some people are afraid or embarrassed to tell anyone, including their doctors or loved ones, about what they are experiencing for fear as being seen as a hypochondriac. Instead, they suffer in silence, distancing themselves from friends, family, and others who could be helpful. Other people suffering from panic attacks don't know that they have a real and highly treatable disorder. It is our hope that through increased education, people will feel more empowered to discuss their symptoms with a healthcare professional and seek appropriate treatment, unquote. And that is my hope as well. That's why I'm doing this episode and this podcast in general. If you experience panic attacks for seemingly no reason, even when you're calm, please do not suffer in silence. Consult a professional for help. There's a chance your panic attacks could be connected to other things that a healthcare professional can help you figure out. My next one is OCD, Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. You know what doesn't butter my biscuit? When people adjust a crooked picture in a home and says, oh my gosh, that was just totally bothering my OCD. OCD is not an acronym, meaning you, quote, like things tidy. There's a difference between being a tidy person and having OCD. Real OCD is when a person gets caught in a cycle of obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are unwanted, intrusive thoughts, images, or urges that trigger intensely distressing feelings. What are obsessions and compulsions? Well, I'll help answer that and continue our discussion after this break. So we left off on the question, what are obsessions and compulsions? Well, here's what IOCDF.org says, quote, 
Obsessions are thoughts, images, or impulses that occur over and over again and feel outside of the person's control. Obsessions are typically accompanied by intense and uncomfortable feelings such as fear, disgust, doubt, or feeling that things have to be done in a way that is just right. In the context of OCD, obsessions are time-consuming and get in the way of important activities the person values. This last part is extremely important to keep in mind as it, in part, determines whether someone has OCD, a psychological disorder, rather than an obsessive personality trait." Unquote. OCD is more than how the stereotypical image is portrayed. It is a real form of anxiety felt when things aren't done the way their brain tells them that it needs to be done. The next word in that acronym is compulsions. What are compulsions? This is how that same website, iocdf.org, explains compulsions in the context of OCD. Quote, These are repetitive behaviors or thoughts that a person uses with the intention of neutralizing, counteracting, or making their obsessions go away. People with OCD realize this is only a temporary solution, but without a better way to cope, they rely on the compulsion as a temporary escape. Compulsions can also include avoiding situations that trigger obsessions. Compulsions are time-consuming and get in the way of important activities the person values. In most cases, individuals with OCD feel driven to engage in compulsive behavior and would rather not have to do these time-consuming and many times torturous acts. In OCD, compulsive behavior is done with the intention of trying to escape or reduce anxiety or the presence of obsessions." Unquote. OCD can affect anyone at any age of any background. Research suggests that OCD involves problems in communication between the front part of the brain and deeper structures of the brain. Other research shows that OCD does run in families and that genes likely play a role in the development of the disorder. If these things are kind of sounding familiar and your quality of life is being affected by obsessive compulsive thoughts and actions, consult a professional. There are many, many ways to treat OCD. Before we move on to the next one, I want to give a brief warning. This next anxiety disorder could be triggering to some to talk about, and this is why I saved it for last. The last one, PTSD. PTSD stands for post-traumatic stress disorder and is a seriously potentially debilitating condition that can occur in people who have experienced life-threatening events. It's not unusual for people who have experienced traumatic events to have flashbacks, nightmares, or intrusive memories after something terrible happens. The disorder is characterized by three main types of symptoms. Re-experiencing the trauma through intrusive distressing recollections of the event, flashbacks, and nightmares. Emotional numbness and avoidance of places, people, and activities that are reminders of the trauma and increased arousal such as difficulty sleeping and concentrating, feeling jumpy, and being easily irritated and angered. When PTSD is mentioned, we usually associate it with former soldiers who experienced traumatic things while serving in the military, but that isn't all that it's limited to. Here's a list of things that could cause PTSD, and again, here's a trigger warning. Types of events that can lead to PTSD include serious road accidents, violent personal assaults such as sexual assault, mugging, or robbery, a traumatic birth, prolonged sexual abuse, violence, or severe neglect, witnessing violent deaths, military combat, being held hostage, terrorist attacks, 
natural disasters such as severe floods, earthquakes, or tsunamis, a diagnosis of a life-threatening condition, an unexpected severe injury or death of a close family member or friend. And that's all I have of the list, but that's not all that it's limited to. Personally, I've never experienced a prolonged severe case of PTSD from a large traumatic event. However, I have scratched the surface of it. Let me explain. Last year, I began having stomach, acid reflux, and nausea problems. The doctors recommended an upper GI scope to be sure that I didn't have ulcers, which I understood. I didn't have ulcers, by the way. But it was my first ever hospital stay for any kind of surgery or procedure. I had never had an IV in my hand or arm and never had been put under with anesthetic. I managed to keep my anxiety under control most of the morning. That is until the, they wheeled my bed into the room they were going to do the procedure. They began to put something in my mouth that would keep it open for the scope and I began to lose control of myself. I had to make them stop strapping that thing in my mouth because I legitimately thought that I was about to throw up from the jump of adrenaline in me. They said they understood, but that I still had to get it in my mouth and to keep going. Then one of the nurses said urgently that the anesthetic needed to be administered. Next thing I knew, my arm felt a little bit cold and then I was out like a light. Not too bad, right? I thought so. But the next night, I was trying to go to sleep in bed and I just I couldn't get myself to calm down. I was close to having a panic attack right there in my bed from I images of the hospital flashing in my head and laying down in the bed. And that would happen the next night too. When I tried to tell my mom what was causing my anxiety in bed, I drove myself unknowingly into a full-blown panic attack. I couldn't understand what was happening. I, I just, I couldn't have PTSD because that only happens after something really big and traumatic, right? Well, I talked to my therapist about it. Thank goodness I had a therapist at this point. She explained to me that it was indeed a small form of PTSD, and although I was put under, my body still experienced the trauma. And that, you know, I reached the peak of a panic attack before I was knocked out. That had a little bit to do with it, too. Now, it has been quite a few months since then, and I don't experience those things in bed anymore, as the memory has faded a lot, but I don't think I'll do well if I ever need to be in a hospital bed again. I don't look forward to a time when that could happen. PTSD is a mysterious disorder, but a very, very, very real one. If you experience flashbacks, nightmares, or intrusive memories after something stressful happens, consider getting treatment and speaking to a professional. Do not suffer in silence. Like any other anxiety disorder, this can be difficult to weather silently. And if you know someone who may be experiencing this, don't let a personality change scare you away from them. They need your help more than ever. And that's all of them. GAD, OCD, PTSD, panic disorder, and social anxiety disorder. Again, not in that order. <laughs> um, I hope I could help someone out there more understand these anxiety disorders. And like I said in the beginning, if you know anyone interested in these things or who's confused about any of these disorders, uh, go ahead and share this podcast with them. They can listen to it while cleaning or doing whatever. In the next episode, I'm going to talk more about um, how to help others who suffer from these uh, disorders um, and how to help yourself if you struggle with one of these disorders because, I mean, both of those things are equally hard and I feel like doing research on it could not only help me but help others too. And my tea is gone and this episode is finished. <laughs> 
Um, if you made it to the end of this episode, thank you, thank you, thank you. And do you want a bonus cookie? Why not subscribe, review, and or share this podcast? I guarantee you that the cookie that you receive will be well worth it. And do you want to support me and this podcast even more? You can donate to me. Go to anchor.fm slash sickbrainbro slash support. There you can choose from three monthly donation options. Your support will help this podcast keep growing and help me have an episode ready every Monday. Even if all you can donate each month is a dollar, it really, really helps. Every little bit helps. The link that I mentioned before will be at the very top of the episode description. Remember, you're not alone in helping your brain grow. We all have sick brains, bro. All sources used in the making of this episode are cited in the description. There are a lot of them this time. The beginning and end theme music for this podcast was done by Kai Robbins on Fiverr.com. That's K-Y-R-O-B-I-N-S. His Fiverr profile link is in the description of every episode.